podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We call whistle, and this is true. We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do. We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging. In fact, we'll take it seriously. We're only bugging. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Whistleblowers podcast. Uh, we've been away for ages. We've not been uh, not been here in your ears for nearly a month now, I think. In that time, we've had all sorts of stuff, haven't we, boys? We've had Christmas, we've had New Year, we've had football, we've had uh, COVID. Anyone had COVID here? Gareth Dobson, first of all, uh, had COVID yet? No, well, not 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 in the last cycle. Not of this COVID, time around, um, which is very exciting. No, I, I, I've just been. Uh, have you seen that show on? Uh, the BBC about uh, famous people spending time in, in Saudi Arabia in Dubai. No, I haven't. Okay, well, I haven't been doing that, but um, right. I just thought I'd sort of make a joke. <laughs> I've been staying at home, bunkering down, avoiding COVID and watching sports. I mean, on- honestly, congratulations on avoiding it, because in London it's been sort of impossible to avoid, and you've done it. And so have I, actually. Uh, Grits, what have or haven't you been doing since we last spoke? Um, yeah, just the same, really. Trying to avoid before christmas to make sure it didn't affect anyone over christmas and then coming through christmas and now we're just you know i'm just baffled when i look at the um the amount of fixtures where we are in the league where everything is apart from the irresistible endless you know man city just steamrolling everyone is glorious you know how much i enjoy watching that team of boyfriends yeah, it's it's been great to see that. Um, the rest of it has just been a kind of a bit of a blur. Been working over it, obviously. Yeah. Um, getting to watch West Ham, but just seeing some matches that are just kind of you know been a bit subdued with the crowds before Christmas. But things seems to be ramping back up now, don't they? Yeah, look, it's the twelfth of January. This is our first podcast uh, of the new year, so we are sort of well behind things at the minute, and probably no more so than this chat about COVID. Who wants to listen to that anymore? Let's let's yeah. make a pact now, Gareth and Grits. No more COVID, unless it becomes so overwhelming again that we have to talk about it. No more COVID chat. No more COVID chat. Uh, instead, uh, let's crack into the weekend's games, because there's some really good games this weekend. I was a bit depressed going into this uh, podcast, thinking, what are we going to talk about? And then Gareth Dobson reminded us, actually, there's some <laughs> genuinely brilliant games coming up to be excited about again, yeah. Grits. Uh, let's start. Yeah. Let's start. Um, we'll start with the first game of the weekend, uh, Friday night, Brighton against Palace. Uh, we don't have to get into the uh, the sort of boring admin of whether or not this is a derby. Some of them think it is, some of them doesn't. Who cares? Uh, but what is exciting is that this is a game with, with two really good sides and, and two very different, um, maybe not styles of play, but definitely very different types of personnel within their team. Uh, Grits, we like Palace, don't we? Um, going to Brighton is a tough one though, isn't it? Yeah, Brighton are in good neck at the minute, to be honest. I mean, I, I, it's a tough game. I love how much they hate each other, you know, irrespective of whether it's a derby. Just, it's great to hear. I mean, me and Gareth are South London boys, aren't we, Gareth? It's essentially annoy a few of our um, uh, friends that are Palace fans, uh, how much they put into this fixture. Um, but yeah, it's a tough place to go at the minute. You, you, you get the sense that Potter's like, he's kind of found a good equilibrium with that team at the minute. He's winning enough games to keep chipping away. Their form's decent. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it'll be a good test, but I, I enjoy the way that Palace have gone about this season. They seem to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, kind of a free, creative going forward. Roy Hodgson always kept things very tight, but Gallagher's given them a new dimension in midfield and Eze coming back. Very, you know, They've got attacking options, 
um, frustratingly seeing Zaha just kind of come in and out as usual. But, um, you know, even Benteke's turned up this season, hasn't he, Gareth? He has. Um, it's, I, I wonder if he's been spurred on by the fact that they they, they have reinforced, they, they've brought in Edouard. And, um, you know, there is also, a, a. it's probably more fun being an attacker playing for Crystal Palace these days. I mean, they've got so many exciting players. Uh, Elise is, you know, maybe first and foremost at the moment. Another story of a player plucked from the championship and brought into the, the top level and has been blooded in very well by Vieira. I, I, I think that Brighton don't win too many against Chris Palace. Obviously, the last time they played at Sellers Park, Palace led for the majority of the game and Brighton absolutely nicked it in, in, in the last minute. So they'll they'll be wanting they'll be wanting to uh you know get their get after it. But I think that this is actually one that Brighton are gonna win finally. They they've been in very good form, especially in the last few weeks. They haven't lost for a few games. Um they toughed yeah, they lost out one in five. In they lost, they've lost one of the last five. Brighton, I really like Brighton. I really like Potter. Um, Basuma's now back and seems to be sort of fit again. Uh, I just wonder, what what do they need, Gareth? What did Brighton need to really push on for this last half of the season and, and aim for that European space? Because to me, it's 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 pretty straightforward. They, they don't have anyone to play alongside Mope or, or to replace Mope. And you can't expect him to play every single game. And even then, he's not prolific. So I think for me, it's just that sharp end. No, agreed. It is definitely attacking reinforcements. Um, Danny Welbeck came in and uh, you know scored a key goal uh, the other weekend. But you can't rely on him. He, he's now an aging injured player. He's formerly just be a young injured player. Um, and yeah, I think we talked about this last season. It's the the Brighton technique of well, we'll have all these injury-prone players we got cheap. Um, if they can all hang in there and perform, then we're going to be in great shape. And if they go more to form, then, then they're not. But um, And this year, they've been less available, it seems. Apparently, they're, you know, they're sniffing around some forwards. They're, they're, there's a young uh, French striker out of Reims called Hugo okay. Ekitiki, um, mm. who Newcastle were obviously also apparently after, but then I assume Newcastle were after everyone. Well, they've got Chris Wood now, apparently. They, they've got Ooh. big Chris Wood, but um, they're... Brighton, I think, are well aware of shortcomings, but they've shopped incredibly well. You know, one of the again, one of the things that they get credit for is their transfer policy, identifying you know players that other clubs maybe aren't sniffing around and you know doing well. You know, players like Terry Calamity, who came from Chelsea and has now come back into team after a very long term injury, who's probably you know again going to be a key a key figure for the rest of the season. So, I mean, if, if you're a Brighton fan, you, you generally feel really positive, and, and the question is, you know, where is the glass ceiling? How far can they go? You know, is this striving for the top eight or can they actually push on and go further well to me Brighton's problem is that this is just I think the Premier League is so incredibly strong and deep at the minute I mean Wolves have been fantastic and see themselves in eighth you've got Brighton Leicester we know what their qualities are we know that all right, they've been a bit rocky this season but they've got a great you know the ceiling is is fantastic Southampton, Palace, all the way down to sort of Everton, really, in 15th. Everton have been really poor, but that's not because of a lack of quality in the squad. I mean, they've got some gaps, sure, but it's a good it's a good squad. You look at Villa in 14th, they've lost three of the last five Villa, and yet I think we all know that Villa can do anything. They can beat anybody on their day. So I think Brighton need to sort of strike while the iron's hot, because they might not get another chance for the next three or four seasons to finish in that top 10, let alone top eight, top seven, whatever. Um... What, what do you think, Grace? Do you think do you think Brighton need a lot of uh, what's the word? 
Do they need a lot of reinforcements if they're going to compete over the next couple of years, not just this season? Well, I, I, I quite like that we're talking a lot about Brighton here because they do go unsung, uh, not just on this podcast. New but Year, New across. Us. I know Potter gets a lot of praise, quite rightly. But if you look at them, the things that they're doing that the teams around them are not doing is they don't concede a lot of goals. And they're set up to not concede a lot of goals by the same token, they don't score a lot of goals and they're not, but they're not almost expected to. You're absolutely right. They need more firepower, but I don't think that would change the way you play. I don't think he wants to play two up top. I think their midfield, if you've seen them against, was it Chelsea? Was it on the, in those, that crazy middle December week of between Christmas and New Year? They were unbelievable. The intensity, Basuma in midfield, Lamptey, uh, Solly March is such a great, he's such a great player when he, you know, when he gets going and he seems like, they, they seem to have that ability to bring slot players in, as Gareth said, bring players in that aren't as maybe fashionable. But but bringing good professionals like Lalana back, um, I just think yeah, they're yeah. really they're set up really well defensively. Um, and to be honest, those are the tiny margins that you've got to work in in that kind of mid zone of the Premier League. If you can just if you don't concede lots of goals, that you know the what was their form run recently? I mean, like in terms of the, their form's decent, but they're beating the teams around them, but they're not getting beat by the teams around them. So even when like Southampton are having a good run, well, they're not beating them. You know, they're, they're beating Everton. The six-pointers. Exactly. So I uh, beating Brentford, solid Boxing Day performance. So, um, you know, I, th- I think they're set up, I think it will be a sticky one for Palace because, you know, Palace seem to be a team that can be got at. Uh, and when their heads go down a little bit, you know, you can get at them. But again, you know, if Gallagher's playing uh, along, it, it's almost as if you've got enough players on the pitch for the opponents to worry about with Palace. I always thought that you could focus your attention on Zaha, stopping them play, you know, but now yeah. they've got, they're playing a little bit more free. So, um, and I know that's quite a, 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 an oversimplification of uh, their talent. Can I raise something that I love about Brighton is uh, they've gone back to using tiny little fullbacks that we used to see in the 90s. Little Lamptey, little Cucurella. I love it. Are you, are you thinking? Of, are you thinking of Alan Wright? And his Alan, Wright. Alan Wright, <laughs> specifically Alan Wright. <laughs> Four foot Paul eight. Parker. Yeah. Well, yeah. No. I mean, they, I swear it used to be a much bigger thing, right? It used to be that you could you could be or a much yeah, smaller thing. Five no. six. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, all right, then let's uh, just touch up on Palace a little bit more before we hit a break. Because is it too much, Gareth? Is this too much of a stretch to say that? Palace might have the most exciting bunch of young attackers in the league. I know we've talked about Alise already, um, but I think about Alise, I think about um, Eze, I think about Edouard, who I think has come and done a really good job. I know he's not a young, young one, but still he's 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 young to the Premier League, he's new to the Premier League. I think they've got some wonderful players in there. Then you, then you add the experience of Zaha, but he's still such an exciting, dynamic player to watch. I love watching this Palace side, and combine that with the fact that they've now got one of the one of mine and Gritz's favourite players, Will Hughes, playing regularly in the middle of the middle of the park. I love this Palace side. Um, I think that they're they're obviously one of the the exciting young collections. I think Southampton might argue that they've got a, a fine collection of young players like Broha and um, Shea, he's a Chelsea uh, player, Shea, Shea Adams. Well, yes, but you know he's playing its trade for, for Southampton. I take take your point. I I, I think that. Um, the excitement is almost in the unknown and, and the yet to be disproven element because so many of them are new to the Premier League. You know, I think we not tire, but we very quickly take certain players for granted. You know, you're you're only a, a superstar while you're promising, then you either become a megastar, or you're just another another Premier League player. But 
it is it is fun, you know, to to see this side blossom from a very uh, effective but dour four four two team or four five one team under Hodgson into you know something a lot more free flowing. And I think the most impressive thing is with Vieira. I remember someone saying that he was either going to be there for three months or for three years. It was either going to be an absolute disaster from the first moment, like when Frank de Boer came in, um, or he was actually going to be able to, to, to lay some foundations. And I don't think it absolutely wasn't a given. Uh, I mean, Vieira hadn't really pulled up too many trees in his previous two stops in management. Um, so the, I think the club has bought into him. And I think to an extent he's bought into the idea of a project and, and he understands what he's dealing with. He hasn't tried to change too much. Like half the team is still that sort of very doughty stalwart team and he's just you know slowly changing it phase by phase from starting at the front because that's where they were the most beloved. yeah but he's also he has also completely changed the uh the centre-back partnership there and Gahey and uh Anderson and they seem like much more progressive centre-backs to what Palace have had over the last few years so I think he is sort of stealthily changing all aspects of the team it's just that the attackers are getting all the headlines because they're so thrilling to watch and you're right, Gareth, like, it wasn't long ago where on this podcast we were saying, you know, Palace fans maybe should actually take stock and just be pleased with their lot, just be pleased that they stay up in the Premier League every season under Hodgson and, you know, and better than that mid-table or whatever. And we thought it might be a bit of a risk, but so far so good for Vieira and I'm really pleased for, for him and for them because they're a really good club and he's a really, seemed like a really good guy, obviously an amazing player. And uh, hopefully you know, who can continue doing well in the Premier League as a manager. Right, let's go into a break. And then when we come back, we've got lots of uh, lots of um, big, even bigger than Brighton Palace, would you believe, games coming up. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean... And more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at Cooler dot bike or find them on instagram with hashtag cooler king bike cooler dot bike e-bikes that are cool af welcome back to the show this is the whistleblowers i'm mark smith i'm here with gareth dobson and martin gritton first half of the show we talked exclusively about uh, palace brighton uh, I think that surprised all of us. Uh, yeah, here we are. Um, there are some bigger games coming up, would you believe, this weekend? And we'll start, I think we should probably start, uh, with Man City-Chelsea on Saturday. Grits, um, <laughs> you said it at the start of the show, Man City just are steamrolling through this league. Uh, I, it's, it's done, isn't it? Is, is it done? It's done, isn't it? This is, the, this is the equivalent of the third fight in a kind of rematch trilogy where you know who's going to win and you know the better person is but it's the last chance for the other team to just it's fury uh, swing a haymaker swing yeah swing a haymaker you want a Deontay just just do something to (laughs) disrupt this because we all know what's going to happen otherwise and I just feel especially over Christmas Chelsea kind of you know um 
Tuchel doing things that we've never seen him do before. Maybe, you know, looking for excuses or, you know, I, I, listen, he's he's had to shuffle his pack. It hasn't quite worked. Everything Man City have done, every time they've twisted, it's it's been it's worked. You know, they've got their full strength players back. Who who knew that they were playing the first half of the season without their full strength team? Jesus, with everyone back now, it's it's just intimidating. But um, you know, Chelsea have got the ability to do it. The Etihad is not an intimidating ground to go to. It's not a scary place. You know, Palace are beating them this year. Uh, there, there's they can be got at, but you have to be playing on all cylinders or be very lucky on the day. And uh, yeah, it, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the stadium and the fans aren't necessarily intimidating, but you've had plenty of teams that go there and realise that, oh, it's actually Man City as a football team are intimidating. And after 10 minutes, exactly. you can be, you, the game's done. You're two, three down. Um, so, Gareth, uh, Gritz, I think, is saying that the league is done. I'm saying the league is done. Have we got a full house here? If If, if Chelsea don't win, the league is done. Um, you could argue. I mean, Chelsea—they've—they've not—they haven't lost in the league since that you know very very late close game to West Ham a month ago. Um, the difference is that they're drawing most of their games rather than winning them. That—that's effectively the difference between them and Man City. City have won their last five. Chelsea have won one in five. I—I um, I suspect that. You know, Chelsea are good enough to beat anyone. They they could beat City. I suspect that City know that they can put the dagger in. Um, and Guardiola is, you know, he's ruthless. He's not going to take a draw if he doesn't have to. Um, I suspect, I mean, Tuchel, obviously, he does know how to sell up against a Guardiola team. He's he, he's done that before. They, they they generally have close games. He's There was, you know, talk of essentially a Tuchel hoodoo uh, last uh, last season, after the various results and 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 the Champions League final, but you know, that's probably more to spur on Guardiola and and you know especially Kevin De Bruyne, who you know has now seems like he's ominously coming into form in a World Cup year, um, as we all like to point out. Oh um, yeah, maybe maybe fi- I know I know a World Cup year. Maybe <laughs> finally this is going to be the the season where he puts it all together and you know both internationally and, and club competitions. So there's there's a lot for Man City to play for, but wrapping up the league effectively this early is going to help them because they can then, you know, get to February and start thinking about the Champions League. And that, other things. as we know, is yeah. the thing for them. That's the holy grail, isn't it, for them? See, I don't think it's even to do with, with Chelsea anymore. Like, I, I think that whatever happens in this game, it's still for me, it's Liverpool, your, your main contenders, if you're a City fan. Yeah. Um, and God bless Liverpool and Klopp for making this in any way competitive over the last three or four seasons. Because uh, without them, it would have just been, you know, like like a few of the other European leagues where there's just one team in it. Um, so, you know, thanks, thanks, Jurgen, for keeping it at least partially interesting. Um, but I just don't think I just I just don't see anyone getting near Man City. I think what what Man City is so so good at, aside from the fact they've got incredible strength and depth, and maybe the best manager on the planet, they just have the ability to always find a way to break down those middle-of-the-table teams every single time in a way that Chelsea don't, in a way that Liverpool, to a certain extent, they do have it, but maybe not as um, relentlessly as Man City. Uh, and I think that's, that's, where, that's, where you, that's where you make your bread, isn't it, as a, as a Premier League contender, is beating, of course, those teams around you, but those, when you're playing twice a week for six months, just keep on churning out those results. And Man City can do it, and it's... I just don't know what I don't know what you're supposed to do. I mean, I, I, I'm an advocate for bringing in all sorts of things to make it, 
you know, more competitive wage caps or whatever. But I don't know what what your other op- options are when it comes to a side like Man City and, you know, potentially Newcastle in the future as well. It's so demoralised. Well, Newcastle are really interesting... Uh, that model, if you compare that to what City had, remember when City, when when he came in, even when when Klopp came into Liverpool, just how long it takes to uh, to transition into a team mm. like City. But City are, are a breed apart again because if you look at the way Klopp Klopp will pick midfielders, I think Thiago is a different. It was a different signer for him because the, there's a guy that can just uh, you know has everything. But City brought in players that had everything, so. It's so demoralising playing against people knowing you're not going to get the ball back off them and knowing they want the ball because half the battle is you're like I'm I'm you you, you would get, go halfway between two players and you're like well I'm close enough for him not to want the ball but all the city players want the ball all the yeah, time in, in every under area. all pressure yeah and it's just like okay so if you go tight you know you you're gonna it's just gonna get popped around you till it falls out at the man that was spare and it's just. It, it's even relentless. that spare man's a goalkeeper. Even the goalkeeper is as <laughs> comfortable so as most team centre midfielders. It's, it's crazy. But, but you look at Liverpool and you go, well, do you know what? We'll, we'll wait till it gets to Henderson. Or we'll get. To, I'm not being, you know, with all due respect, there's certain players in the team that you're like, you put a little bit of heat under them. They might, they might, yeah. uh, they might turn it over. Let, let's or, press, let's press Matip. Yeah, as good as he's on the ball, not he's not enough. quite yeah. as good as. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or someone's one footed. I mean, so that that seems archaic. That you know that, that uh, yeah. there's one footed players in Liverpool's team, but. That just wouldn't happen in City's team, and it's you know, and I, I, no. I don't like to kind of completely wax lyrical, but at the same time, it's just you're absolutely right. Those mid-table teams do not know what to do because they will always find no. a weak point and they will just jab at it to use another. Well, boxing I, I, I've heard analogy. I've heard people I've heard people talk about Man City and say, oh, they've always got the same. There's just ten of the same player on the pitch, as if that's a bad thing. All it does is that speaks to the fact that Man City have absolutely nailed their recruitment they know exactly what sort of player they want to bring in before they bring him in they, they 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 are five steps ahead with who they want to bring in they want players that can slot in players you know inverted commas wingers but play across the front three play across the center midfield they can play wherever they want and they've got 12 of these guys that can do it it's just on another planet and you know as i say i think something needs to happen at some point but realistically i think that the change will come in terms of competitiveness in the premier league once Pep Guardiola leaves, I think that's that's basically what you're waiting for now is for the king to die. As uh, yeah. as sad as that sounds, um, let's talk about Chelsea. Um, is it fair to say, Gareth, that hmm, is this fair to say? Probably not. I think two of their best players aren't playing for them at the minute, and I'm talking about Broha and Conor Gallagher. And I think, given the furor around Romelu Lukaku the last three or four weeks, two or three weeks, whatever it's been. Broha looks like he could step up and fill that sort of spot at the minute. And as for Conor Gallagher, well, I think we all know how, how good he's been this season. Uh, so is that a mad thing to say that two of Chelsea's best players aren't currently playing for the side? Um, it's definitely a stretch, but it, it, it does bring <laughs> up an interesting sort of question about you know identifying the talent within your ranks who uh, the team chose to keep. You know, they chose to keep Loftus-Cheek. Who, he's getting a lot of minutes, um, and I'm not... I'm not sure anyone's convinced that he he's a better option than Conor Gallagher. Um, the Chelsea's midfield is probably going to be the key point for them to look at um, in the off season. Uh, Kante, I know he's he was incredible in the last year, but he misses so many games of injuries now, um, and he does look a step off. And perhaps the most unsung player in midfield is Kovacic, who's been out for the majority of the season, has come back in, and you know he scored that. 
incredible goal against Liverpool. But his his main contribution is he keeps the ball moving. He everything ticks along. He's an incredibly tidy player, and he, you know, he plays with urgency and, and moves the ball up the field. Um, whether they're going to build around him, whether they're they're, they're going to replace Kante or just look to overhaul the whole, the whole thing, is going to be it's going to be very interesting. I think. Yeah, it's been a traditionally very strong part of the pitch for Chelsea the last uh, the last decade, really. Going further back than that, um, I can definitely see Conor Gallagher getting into the Chelsea side. Oh I think yeah, he's some. I think he's someone who I, I think he's different enough to Mason Mount that they could play together. Um, and if you had a real destroyer in there alongside them, I, I just don't see why not. I, I don't think it's quite worked out with uh, Sol Niguez, although he is he's getting better. But I don't think he's there for a long time. I think Go I on, think Gareth. you're. Um, no, I, I was just thinking about um, Mason Mountain, who I, I guess I'd exclude in that conversation. And there's at the moment he's you know being being pushed further forward. I wonder if the idea is at some point he, he's going to be viewed as a complete central midfielder, and they're they're, they're going to sit him deeper. I mean, he has played in basically most roles for Chelsea already in his young career. And, you know, I think Lampard played him deeper. Um, so that's that that's another question. You know, if if you do have this this core of um, of of Connor and and Mount uh, plus one. That's both very young, very exciting, and and very and very British. Which you know yeah. is something that will appeal to fans. That you know players that they they see and they identify with. You can't see me, but I'm saluting. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm saluting right now, as I often am. I just come in there. If you if Chelsea got hold of Declan Rice and brought Gallagher back, that's England's midfield for the next ten years. Ten years for me, yeah. I would say. They're that good, you know. It, it, him, Mount, Mount Rice, and Gallagher. Because I think you have two free playing centre midfielders. Don't you don't have water carriers in there? And, and they both, yeah, exactly. They both they are Lampard Lampard lights. I mean, they don't necessarily go forward as much as him. But um, but yeah, they, they do that box to box job that Chelsea. Yeah, I think yeah. Chelsea have been looking for that player for years. I think they wanted Barkley to be it. They even wanted Danny Drinkwater to be a player like that. You know, they, say, they brought in. Do you not see a way back for Danny Drinkwater now? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, I, I, but I think they've been crying out for they wanted that British, or, you know, an English centre midfielder because it's that tra- there's a tradition at Chelsea of, of having those guys. And I, I, you know, I think they've got a perfect opportunity here because I, I, I genuinely don't think Rice. I'll have to be quiet because I'm in I'm in London Stadium at the minute. But um, I genuinely think this could be Declan Rice's realistically his last season here because you know ambitions on his part, the club. You know, he will be leaving West Ham in a better state than he certainly came through the ranks. And so, with 120 um, million you, quid in the pocket as well. Exactly. Know. So, you know, uh, we shall wait to see on that one. But yeah, you're absolutely right about um, uh, Gallagher coming back in. I think uh, he could get in his team and he just ma- he makes it play differently. He's just he's just such a, yeah. a good player to and, watch. And by the way, this this Gallagher and Broha not being at Chelsea and instead playing for other Premier League sides, that's not, you know, that's that's not denigration of Chelsea's policy at all on this occasion it's actually shown that they've put players out there to see if they can sink or swim and they've they've swam and and this this is how that element of the loan system should work isn't it so this is it seems to have worked out well for them it gives them as players an opportunity now to step up or if Chelsea decide that they actually maybe not quite good enough they'll certainly get another club in this league remember how good Lukaku was when he first went out when he went to West Brom West Brom are just like rubbing their hands together going how do we get a player this good then he goes to Everton he's still unbelievable the guy's been unbelievable at every step of the way until they bought him again it's just 
it's you know it's absurd, but you know that is. Well, let's the... talk about him really, really quickly. Just one question to the pair of you, one word answer if you can. Gareth, will Lukaku be at Chelsea this time next season? Yes. My headphone fell out. My headphone fell out just as you asked the question. Um, can you ask uh, it again? Question, the question was, can you keep your headphones in for two seconds? Yes. Um, the question was, will Lukaku be at Chelsea next season? No. Oh, okay, good. So it's good. Some friction on the show. That's what we're back for. 12th of January. We're back in the room. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Villa against Manchester United. Uh, they played in the FA Cup this week. Uh, really good game. Really good FA Cup game. I thought Villa were outstanding. United were decent for parts of it. Um, Gareth, are you seeing much improvement in United under Ranić? Uh, no, really. To be honest, it, it feels kind of more of the same. He, I, I don't know quite what he's done. That he was meant to bring this sort of coherency in the game plan, and maybe it's the wrong collection of players, but it still looks like they're relying on 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 their attackers to freelance. Um, bringing Cavani back in um, is interesting. It, he, he's I think he's still a fantastic player and he, he brings them a focal point. Uh, Rangnick maybe seems less sold on Ronaldo. Ronaldo is playing fewer minutes uh, under him, whether, I mean, he'll turn around, he'll just say that, you know, he's resting him and he's keeping for the key moments and key games. But I wonder if Rangnick's like, well, I've got nothing to lose here. I can actually stand up and say, you're not, you're not helping the team in many ways. Um, probably the most alarming thing is the continued dip in form of Bruno Fernandes. A player who, you know, 12 months ago, I think we were saying was a world-class player who was going to change Manchester United's trajectory. And now he's been perhaps more lost than any other player in that team. Um, I, I I, do wonder, um, I mean, Rannick, I think, has, has already essentially played himself out of a, a long-term position at United. He is almost certainly going to be a stopgap now to the end of the season. But they've not lost that many. It's just that every time they play, they look utterly, utterly underwhelming. Do you know what I don't understand? And Gritz, I'll ask you about this. So, Ranić's first game in charge was at home to uh, Palace, I think it was. Yeah, it was Palace. And for that first half an hour, if you remember this, it's like six weeks ago, first half an hour, United were unbelievable. They were pressing high, full press, all of them gunning for it non-stop. They were winning the ball back. I think they some statistic in that game where they won the ball back more in the opponent's the final third than at any other time in the last, I don't know, X amount of years, whatever it was. And we all thought, oh, this is it. This is what Ranić's game plan is. I can already, after half an hour of watching United under Ranić, I know what he wants to do and the players are buying into it. And they were brilliant in that game. It, it took him a bit longer to score the goal and win the game, but they beat Palace 1-0 and there seemed to be that blueprint there. And I haven't seen them press at all like that at any minute of any game since. Now, Gritz, as a former pro, is that players not buying into Ranić's system or is it them seeing what it's like doing a full press for half an hour and just being like, fuck that, I can't, my body can't do that. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is when you've got the new manager, it's like, oh, this is our chance to impress. And normally players do that in training. But these players in the Premier League know that doing it out on the pitch when everyone's watching them, because, uh, you know, the all eyes of the world are on the Premier League. So um, I think there was an element of that. I think you're right. They maybe ran out of steam because they don't do it all the time. But also, I think there's a really fragmented dressing room Buying into something, you need a collective, you need someone to rally behind. There's more people that are divisive than there are to rally behind in that dressing room because you've got Ronaldo, you've got Pogba, you've got all these massive personalities that just are the elephant in the room, you know? It's just a really difficult thing. And Ragnick's come in as essentially, he's like the, the 
you know, the supplement teacher who's come in because you, they know that he's going. So it's like, well, but he's not going though. This is the well, thing. No, I'm just he, saying. I'm he's likely to be fear. upstairs. There's no fear. There's no fear. Yeah. The players don't look afraid to to be their best versions of themselves. There's uh, Ferguson would have cut out. Uh, and, and you know, I, the ghost of Ferguson is probably the issue here. Um, but mm. Ferguson would have cut out the, any any raw, any toxicity would have been gone long down, and yeah, that would have yeah, been the yeah, reason yeah. the team bonded. There's no reason this team bonds because everyone's like, even people are starting. You know, when you use those those kind of lazy comparisons for for Rashford talking about his, the work that he does outside of football, and you're just like, well, that's nothing to do with it, is it? I mean, these are young players that need direction, um, yeah, and you, you just wonder sometimes whether whether there's more problems at that club than you yeah. know. Rangnick was brought in; he was brought in to try and fix things that, to be honest, were broken beyond repair. It looks like it, doesn't it? I mean, part of the thing with the pressing, just to go back to that again, is I thought, well, maybe they're not doing this full press, high-intensity game because they're playing teams that aren't really playing out of the back. You know, they had, they had a run of fixtures there for Ranić that looked quite simple on paper. They had, they had Norwich and they had Newcastle. Teams that are a bit more direct and therefore maybe you can't press them as effectively. But then the Villa game in the FA Cup, Villa do play from the back. Villa do play nice stuff. And yet there was nothing. And Gareth... When Ranić came in, it was just after uh, Conte went in at Spurs, and I said Conte will finish top four with Spurs. This this appointment alone will put Spurs in the top four. If you see United as a direct rival, which I, I imagine you do, are you worried at all about United now? Is that is that someone you look at and 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 does that keep you up at night, or is it more now that you're looking at the likes of Arsenal or or West Ham? Um, far less so. I, I have to admit, when Ranić came in, I, I, I bought the hype. I am a sucker for the you know, the shrewd German football mind, you immediately you're like, the okay, nerd. perfect. The nerd, exactly. <laughs> the, oh, he's into statistics and data and patterns and things like XG. that. And all the stuff, <laughs> which is absolute catnip for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, well, this is... And then you look at the fact that, you know, he's, he's 61. He's essentially had two very dubious positions uh, before coming here director of football in uh, the team in Russia is like perhaps there was a reason why you know uh, <laughs> teams weren't climbing all over for him but um it's yeah I, I do I, I think that Arsenal and uh maybe West Ham are probably um better better chances for the top four now than than, than Manchester United I, I do think Manchester United will probably finish outside the top four but um the fact that Manchester United have brought a almost quickly and quietly bringing in a new director of football as well uh, speaks to the fact that they want to get to... I think this was changed meant to be was meant to be made in April or May, and now it suddenly is happening on February the 1st. It looks like they want a period of assessment so that they can go into um, you know the end of the season, the off-season, and, and be ready to make decisive changes. I, I, I expect they're at the point now where they realise that they might need a huge overhaul, which is going to be very painful because you know this very is very expensive been built for to essentially peak now you know i think we've talked about this before that there's a lot of players who are you know either at peak age or maybe on the other side of it and if it all falls apart it's going to take a long time and a lot of players to 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 replace and to reconstruct this team i mean right now essentially you're going to have to build around uh scott mctominay yeah it's not <laughs> It's not ideal, is it? Um, Villa fans, if you're listening, we uh, we don't quite have time to talk 
about Villa today. But what we'll do, I promise you, is on next week's show, we'll talk about uh, Villa in more detail, given that you'll have just at least got a draw against United, if not, if not a win, uh, just, I think. Yeah. Just saying just saying, Lucas Dina for £25 million as well. So, it's just I mean, happened, is it? Breaking Matt news here on the Whistleblowers podcast, um, which happens after the fact. So sh- get rid of your Matt targets. That's all I'm saying. Get rid of your shell, targets. Shell them out. Um, and the reason we can't talk about you too much, Villa, is we've still got to cover the North London derby. So let's do that now. Uh, and who better to talk about that with than resident Spurs fan, Gareth Dobson. Uh, how are you feeling about this one, Gareth? And this, this genuinely feels like uh, the biggest one for ages now, doesn't it? Um, I was trying to work out when the last time these two played each other and they had an equal amount at stake. Um, and it's been a while. I couldn't quite work it out, which is, is a big deal. I, I, both fan bases are probably similarly optimistic maybe for different reasons um, Arsenal have the the joy of youth and, and the excitement of all these new players coming in you know I, I think uh, Aubameyang being brushed aside is probably a very important almost symbolic gesture for Arteta the, A the fact that he's saying look I'm not going to stand for this and secondly they can now do it because um they obviously feel with Martinelli and, and to an extent Nketiah that they've got the players who can now adequately replace him. Um, I, it looks more and more like they're going to try and hold on to Nketiah at the end of the season. Yeah. He's out of contract, but they're suddenly giving him quite a few... Uh, and yeah, and Lacazette has stepped up as well, I think it's And Lacazette, of course. Um, he's always someone I think has performed better without Aubameyang in the team. Yeah, It's never quite worked. And I think maybe they've realised if they... If they support him through other other means, it's going to be helpful. So, so uh, you know, and, and you know, players like Thomas Partey, you know, he's now having a more consistent run in in the team. Um, they just need to find a way to to, to replace Granite Shaka, you know, who is their Achilles' heel in so many ways. But and, and and for Spurs, you know, they have the optimism of they have a grown up manager doing grown up things, making grown up decisions. He's just come out of a a big meeting with the you know the the team's decision makers and he's basically said look you're going to have to replace half this team um, half from now aren't good enough you've let this team slide to towards yeah. mediocrity so that's exciting I, I think Arsenal probably are coming into this as a slightly better team with a little bit more form and you know notwithstanding the, the result last uh, last game week against Man City where you know, they still play pretty well I think that they should be considered slight favourites but it's probably going to be a blood and thunder draw and everyone everyone's happy at the end. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, so I asked Gareth to talk about Spurs, really. He didn't really mention Spurs at all. It was just Arsenal. So we'll talk to you instead, Grits, about uh, about Spurs. Um, looks like Ndombele and Deli Alley might be on the way out. And it look, this is all just uh, hearsay. It also looks like Lingard might be on his way in. Um, I think that'd be a great signing if they were to... I mean, it's, it's, it's been talked about in the Times and a couple of other places. I think it'd be a fantastic signing to get Lingard. Gareth's eyebrows have left his head now and have actually off the Zoom entirely. But Grits, what do you think about Lingard to Spurs? Or, or a player like Lingard? Let's, 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 let's imagine it's not Lingard, but someone who can press in the same way as Lingard in a way that Ali really can't. It's very Spursy, though, isn't it, Gareth? I think that's why Gareth's eyebrows are raising because Lingard to West Ham, Lingard would be we get back in England and Lingard to Spurs you just feel that it'll just some, something will go amiss no he's a there. Conte he is a Conte player if ever I've seen Listen, one I, I, I've i got um, I really like Lingard I, I, 
particularly the way that he's not the way that he's maybe gone about his showing that contracts are more powerful than the will to play football because you know he he's missing out really valuable time here he, he plays brilliantly every time he played for West Ham he was superb he got back in the England team he scored goals in the England team and then he's what he's just sat out of it so the only risk you've got is that he's he's not going to be firing on all cylinders Premier League because you know he he had a brilliant West Ham team to come into I don't know if Spurs are and going to give him the same support and freedom that he had there. You're right, Conte might be good, but he's he's not going to be um, the star player, is he? He's going to be a bit part. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, maybe this this links into what we said earlier about uh, Chelsea's loan players. Um, Broho and Gallagher can play as well as they want. There's no guarantee they get back into their parent and club's team, is there? I mean, as we saw with, with Lingard and West Ham and, and United. Um, Spurs, though, Gareth... Um, is it? Does it feel like there's some green shoots of recovery now? Then because it it wasn't the it wasn't the, uh, the the Conte bounce that I think we probably expected. It's definitely been more positive, but probably not the massive bounce that we thought we'd have. Um, but it looks pretty good, right? You're quite happy with where where you are so far. It does. I mean, you know, two months ago, no one thought we'd be anywhere near the top four, and now the top four is a win away. Spurs have two games in hand and. If they win one of those, they will be, you know, ahead of Arsenal in that fourth place. So it there are definitely green shoots. And again, I think the the excitement is, is the competency of the management and and feeling like you've got a good trainer of the squad and someone who can identify talent and actually get the best out of them. Um it's it is gonna be hard because, you know, things have been left to rot, especially in defensively. The most promising thing is maybe what he's got out of Oliver Skip and made him yeah, looks great. mainstay, and he 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 pairs quite well with uh, with Hoiberg. Um, but there is uh, the Lingard thing. I'm uh, related to Spurs. I actually think the reason why he stayed at Manchester United is because he genuinely backs himself to make the team. Yeah, and every time yeah. they bring in a new manager, you know, Rangnick, he's like, okay, well, I'll stay. I, I can Here's prove another chance that, that I'm worthy. Like he came on against. Um, Aston Villa towards the end in, in the couple of then he, he he suddenly everything perked up. He looked so lively yeah. and bright and and interested. I'm not sure that I'd be surprised if if, if Spurs agreed to sign him because was he 29 now 28 29. He's not. They like players who are you know 23 to 25. Someone with resale value. They no, hate Conte, the idea man. Come on, come on. Con- oh, sure. Con- and, and, this is Conte written all over him. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other player that Conte apparently has has briefed for is, is Stefan de Rijd, the 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 Inter Milan and Netherlands centre back, who's a very good player, but I think is thirty years old now. And again, if Spurs go and chase a player like that, I think that signals the power of Conte, and that signals yeah. whether they're going to buy into him or not. I mean, they did this with with Mourinho; they they went and took Bale, they went and took you know players who maybe they wouldn't have taken otherwise, and. I wonder if Levy is, is has suddenly got, you know, is do I want to do this again? Do I do I really want to invest in a manager rather than invest in my own belief about how you build a squad? But we will see. And the other well, let's ask you a question then. Let's ask you a question then, Gareth. What's more likely, Lingard to Spurs or Conte to leave in March after not being backed in the transfer window? Uh, <laughs> They're probably about even. <laughs> I suspect that this is the, the the big concern I think for Spurs fans in the background is he signed an eighteen month contract. He's not mm-hmm. ever had a reputation as a builder. He's had the reputation as someone who's come in and maximised what he's got, won, fallen out, and left. Um, 
So the fact that he's briefing saying this team isn't good enough, which is true, is it's worrying if you believe he's not going to break that cycle of his uh, of his career, or it's exciting because it's the first time he's kind of talked about you know th- this project and the idea of wanting to be there long term. We'll see. I, ultimately, it's always about what he's given. He clearly wants as much power and control as, as and influence as he wants um, as he can get. So. It's going to be. I think this summer is going to be the key, the key point for Spurs, rather than what happens in January. Lovely stuff. All right. Well, look, Grits. Unless you've got anything to say, you look like you're uh, waiting with bated breath. There. What are you about to say? Uh, no, just looking at the disgusting Carabao Cup game you've got tonight, Gareth. The one where it's like literally the deadest of dead. You're two 0 down to Chelsea, second leg of the Carabao Cup semi. Just get it out of the way. Or, That's why we weren't talking or, about it, Chris. Why are you depressing our guests? Because, because <laughs> imagine he throws the kitchen sink at it tonight against a weak Chelsea team, wins it, and then goes on to win a cup, the League Cup of all things. But um, we can talk about that next week, guys. Let's talk about that next week. All right, that's what we've got time for. Thank you, Martin Gritton. Thank you, Gareth Dobson, as yeah. ever, for being here and helping me through this. Uh, we'll be back. <laughs> I mean... I assume we're back next week. I don't really know. We've got to be, I guess, to talk about Villa. Um, All right. See you later. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.